Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? Doing okay today. Uh, the topic that we have coming up for our listeners involves a couple of different elements of the sport of football as well as a missing person. So we talk about a, a little bit of the sport that this person really excelled at uh, and gets into that sticky area of what we are willing to tolerate for our entertainment purposes. But before we get to that, I am not going to tolerate this any further until I know how you are doing. Are you doing as well as I'm doing? <laughs> Thank you for asking. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm doing great today. And I agree this, uh, this case is interesting to talk about. I am a fan of football. So, it, you know, strangely, his style of play specifically, I think had something to do with why he died. And so it's, it's kind of a mystery that is multi-pronged and I guess it gets a little controversial, but uh, Colin Finnerty went missing on May 26th, 2013, and was unfortunately found deceased a couple days later. And this is in Lake County, Michigan in 2013. And as you'll hear us describe in this conversation that we have with our partner, Jennifer Amell, Colin was a superstar in college. Colin was a superstar quarterback. He was the winningest quarterback in NCAA college football history. And he went on to be signed by the Denver Broncos, which is a huge accomplishment. And we, we do talk about this, like how much it actually takes to become a professional football player from college and the consequences that come with that. And this just has all of those earmarks of CTE. Sure does. And it's tragic, Lance. And that is a, uh, a brain disorder that is commonly connected to football players. And we're still learning more about it as uh, as time goes by. So and this story definitely helped, I guess, move that problem forward in the public consciousness. For sure. And it's not just the CTE. It's not just the concussions that happen. It's what happens to your entire body when you put it through the rigorous task of playing football, whether it's college or the professional level. He had herniated discs in his back, so he was prescribed oxycodone. That, coupled with the brain disorder causes people to do things like all of the red flags that were going up in the days and weeks before his disappearance. Two days later, he's found dead in the woods. The circumstances are suspicious because he's at a cookout and then decides he's going to go fishing at night at a distance away that makes no sense. And big thank you to our researcher, Marianne White, who helped us with research for this episode. We really appreciate it. She did a great job. And check out our subscription service. If you want ad-free episodes of Missing, you can do so by subscribing on Apple Podcasts for $2.99 a month, or you can go to missing.supportingcast.fm, subscribe that way, and you can get our bonus show as well. And Tim, what if someone wanted to follow us on social media? Oh, great question, Lance. They can do so at Missing CSM. And if you know anybody who is experiencing symptoms of CTE, there's a really amazing resource called the concussionfoundation.org and you can contact them through their helpline and you submit information about your loved one and they support every person from athletes to veterans anybody who is affected by cte 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Missing Jennifer Amell. How are you today? Doing well, Tim. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, very interested to talk about this case today. It's a super sad one, and I have a lot of thoughts about football, which might make you angry, Tim. I, I don't care what you say about <laughs> football. <laughs> I can face the uh, the truth about uh, a sport that I do uh, enjoy watching. You said that this is a really sad case, and they're all sad, and this one is unique in its sadness because it does run the line of entertainment and the consequences of the sport of football that is oftentimes very violent and it has lasting effects um, on someone's brain. And that's what we're, we get into with this. And uh, it's, I think frustrating because you see somebody who's such a huge talent and has a family and has what seems to be a good extended family. And again, those repercussions of participating in a violent sport just surface up. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a case where there are windows of opportunity for like conspiracy theory. But I think just due to um, Cullen's behavior before his disappearance and and later death. But um, I think this is definitely a case where like there's no foul play. Yeah, I think you're right, um, Jen. I, I definitely uh, don't assume there's any foul play on this one. And Colin John Finnerty was born August 18th, 1982. He went missing May 26th, 2013 from Lake County, Michigan. 6'2", 240 pounds, big guy, big, strong uh, white guy who played college football at Grand Valley State, where he led the team as their quarterback to three Division II football championships, NCAA Division II football championships in 2003, 2005, and 2006. And he became the winningest quarterback in NCAA college football history. That is an impressive stat because think about how old that institution is. I mean, that is incredible. I'm sorry. I have a quick question about winningest quarterback. Yeah. What does that mean? So he won the most games as a college football starter, um, a quarterback. Uh, now, there's possibly several reasons for this. This is Division Two, so not Division One, not like the Ohio States and um, Georgias that you're used to being in, you know, in championship games uh, that are on network TV. Um, this is a, a little bit of a lower scale, but he won like something like 50 straight games, which is just incredible. 
And it seems like he was a real kind of Swiss Army knife as a player um, because he was a scrambler as a quarterback. And those are really tough to defend. And Colin being so big, he actually just lowered his shoulder and took a lot of hits, a lot of extra hits that normal quarterbacks who are pocket passers wouldn't take. In fact, one of the announcers on on one of the um, national championship games that that he played and won said that Colin had a quote-unquote linebacker mentality. So he enjoyed the contact. Hmm. And he did go on to be signed by the Baltimore Ravens in the NFL in 2007. He was not drafted, uh, but then he was released by the team in July and he was signed to their practice squad during the season, which is a good sign. You know, that means he's got a shot at a career in the NFL. And then in March 2008, Colin was signed by the Denver Broncos, and then he was placed on waivers a couple of months later. And then after that, he went to play for the Cineplex Blue Devils of Austria, and then as the starting quarterback of the Muskegon Thunder of the CFL, which is a uh, an indoor football league that is played in Canada. But I think there could be something to the amount of contact that he took throughout college and uh, high school as well, taking about as many hits as a normal running back would take. And uh, if you follow the sport of football, you know that running backs just don't have as long of a playing shelf life as pocket passing quarterbacks do. Yeah, and I just want to circle back on you uh, defining his style of quarterbacking as like a scramble style, and that does open you up to being hit in a way that a regular pocket passer won't be hit. You know, you're now become you've, you just said it, like you, you've become a running back, so now you're opening yourself up to a lot more injury and a lot more uh, just damage to your body. And he loved it. I mean, in, in the uh, information that we have, he loved it. He did not shy away from getting those hits and, and also uh, administering those hits to others. Like he loved the contact of the sport, which is pretty important if you're going to be pursuing that as a career. And that brings me to my other point of how hard it is to actually make it in the NFL. You can be the most winningest quarterback in your division in history and still while making the practice squad is really good, he does he didn't make the the pros, and he went to the Canadian Football League and the uh, one in Austria and was able to play there. But I mean, you see these NFL players today, and I mean the the route that they had to go to get there. I mean, mm-hmm. just physically, mentally, the commitment that it takes to do that is uh, remarkable. When you have somebody like him who had such success in college, I have two questions. Um, perhaps you might be able to tell that I'm, I, I don't watch a whole lot of football. <laughs> um, but what does it mean to be placed on waivers? Because uh, uh, Cullen was placed on waivers uh, by the Denver Broncos. It essentially means he's been released by the team. Oh, okay. And a- any other team has a chance to pick him up, um, and no team did. But Cullen apparently wanted to play professionally, and he did in, uh, in Europe. And then um, in the CFL as well. And uh, yeah, I, th- I just think he probably had a lot of success in high school and college because of how big and strong he was. At the next level in the NFL, that advantage kind of disappears a little bit. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. is Cullen like a larger guy than quarterbacks usually are? No, he's he's kind of right in the right range, 6'2", 240, maybe a little shorter than most of the very successful pocket passers out there today. Um, maybe bigger than most scrambling quarterbacks. I mean, I, I have to say, I think he probably could have been used as like a Taysom Hill type uh, weapon in the NFL. Now, that's a, 
a pretty deep dive if uh, to mention Taysom Hill. If you watch football, you probably know who he is. He plays for the Saints. He This guy actually plays quarterback at times. He plays tight end officially, but he will run the ball and he will catch the ball. In fact, he's done all three this season in the NFL. He's where he's thrown for a touchdown, caught a touchdown, and ran for a touchdown. So quite a Swiss Army type weapon in real life in the NFL. I do feel like Colin probably could have had a career like Taysom Hill um, if play callers or or coaches were, um, I don't know, risk averse enough to take a chance on him. Well, when you said that name, Jen definitely nodded like she knew him. <laughs> oh, I'm just playing along. <laughs> so Colin's uh, family, let's uh, talk about his family for a little bit. His parents, Tim Sr. and Maureen, they live in Michigan. He was close with his siblings. He had an older brother, Tim Jr., younger brother, Brandon, and a sister named Courtney. Colin met his wife, Jennifer, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and the two married in 2010. Cullen then landed a job in the medical sales industry, and they bought a house in Howell. And Cullen and Jennifer had two children, Caden and McKinley. And on the evening of Sunday, May 26, 2013, Colin decided rather spontaneously to go fishing on the Baldwin River in Michigan. He had been vacationing that Memorial Day weekend with his wife and her family. His father-in-law and brother-in-law dropped him off at the river, planning to return in about 30 minutes to pick him up. And so at about 10.30 p.m. that night, Colin's family called the Lake County Sheriff's Department, and they reported that they had dropped him off at Bray Creek State Forest Campground a few hours hours earlier and when they went back to pick him up his boat was there but he was not and the undersheriff said it wasn't unusual for people to get lost in those woods and that it happens a few times every year and we had talked briefly off air about whether or not it was common to go fishing at night and i had said it's not uncommon to go fishing at night after it, after it cools down but it this is super uncommon for him to do it i'm gathering that he's at a memorial day weekend with his wife's family and then spontaneously at night decides that he's going to go fishing and the timeline is a little confusing that we're going to try to kind of clear that up later on it is unusual to have this happen in his circumstance would you agree yeah i mean it is strange behavior to all of a sudden decide to go fishing like that late into the evening i also find it a little weird and i don't know what the context of this is though um why his father-in-law and brother-in-law had to drop him off to go fishing like did he not have a vehicle of his own i mean it's a little weird huh yeah maybe they were was he using their boat i, I don't know yeah i don't know um so i just want to clarify this this point where Cullen decided to go fishing was near the Baldwin River in Michigan. And this is where they were vacationing on Memorial Day weekend. Um, this river is about three hours away from where Cullen and his family lived in Howell. So maybe that's why he was dropped off. Lake County officials called the state police to aid with resources and three officers walked the nearby creeks and rivers as a helicopter flew overhead. The officers found a vest, but Colin's family did not believe that it belonged to him. And they also found footprints approximately a mile and a half from where he had been dropped off. And when pinging his cell phone, the results showed as far as three miles south and five miles north. The last time Colin had been on a call was at 9.36 p.m. with his brother-in-law. Colin told him that he didn't know where he was. Okay, so let's pause here for a second. Let's unpack this cell phone ping. 
I'm a little confused. Like, does that mean if it pinged three miles south and five miles north, that that means he's like walking back and forth? That sounds like a lot of ground to cover on foot. Yeah, but like there's, I mean, it doesn't mean that he traveled eight miles. It's just like the tower, tower mm-hmm. location. So he could have been traveling away from where he was fishing. So what you're saying is that during multiple times while they were calling him, he was in the area of these two or or I'm going to say two just for the sake of argument, two cell phone towers, one to the north and one to the south, that he was within the range of those cell phone towers. Yeah. After 930. Yeah. And uh, yeah, again, it probably too much ground to cover on foot, obviously, but on, on a boat, I wonder, I don't know, or, or uh, possibly a vehicle. But yeah, I think what you're saying, Jen, is more accurate that he probably didn't actually end up traveling that far. Um, it's just the pings got distributed between two different towers. Right. Yeah. So he was traveling probably in one direction after 930 when he placed that call to his brother-in-law. Probably wondering where where he was. I mean, so he... All right. <laughs> so this is an interesting call. He places at 936 to his brother-in-law. And Cullen tells his brother-in-law that he doesn't know where he is. So we know for a fact that Cullen believed he was lost. And to further emphasize that point, we know from the undersheriff that it wasn't unusual for people to get lost in those woods. So we're not seeing anything like suspicious at this point. Other than the very spontaneous, and that's only odd, the trip that he took to go fishing in the first place. Yeah, and then this phone call to his brother-in-law. Because apparently they were supposed to pick him up only a half an hour after they dropped him off. And then they didn't show up until 1030, which is interesting because Colin called him at 930 an hour before and told his brother-in-law that he was lost. Why did it take them an hour Unless they had an hour to travel. But that, I mean, it doesn't make any sense why they would. It's like, picture, picture Colin that, like, they're having this party on Memorial Day weekend and, like, around eight o'clock at night, maybe a little earlier. He's like, I think I'm going to go fishing. Can you get all of our gear together, load up the boat, and drive me an hour away <laughs> to, to go fishing? I'd be like, no, man, like, chill. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's go tomorrow or go early in the morning. They had made a plan to come back to pick him up in 30 minutes. So why not just wait for him? If the plan was I'm going to fish for 30 minutes. Doesn't right? seem like a long time to fish, though. Like are you Certainly to- not a long time to, you get in the boat, you row yeah. out, you throw in the, you know, your line a couple of times, and then that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why are they not just waiting for him? Right, yeah. Maybe they just didn't think he could do any get or get any even get to the creek or something in those 30 minutes and they just were like well he needs at least a couple hours but like i don't know why that wouldn't have been communicated or or uh you know discussed yeah it's weird and it's especially because he was going out on a boat like he had to put a boat in the water takes a little bit of time Uh it's not like he's just casting from the bank or anything you know Okay, so by the next morning after after Cullen has been lost in these woods, helicopters were searching overhead and they actually had cadaver dogs and they were combing in the forest below. And then by Tuesday, the search party had grown to include 13 officers from Lake County, 22 reserve officers, and almost 100 local volunteers and dozens of friends and family members. So pretty big search effort 
And then the many searchers combed the grid of Weber Township, looking for any sign of Cullen. The area was covered in waist-deep swamps and dense foliage. So as of Tuesday night, Cullen had been missing for 48 hours. And among one of these search groups was Chuck Martin, Cullen's football coach at Grand Valley State, who was now the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, and Kurt Ains, the quarterback Cullen succeeded. And this particular group had been searching closest to the nearest road um, through backyards and, you know, past trailers that were there. I'm not sure if these were like residential trailers or camping trailers, but there was also some huts, some cabins and some deer blinds for hunting. And they made their way through some branches into a clearing when Ain's wife, Lindsay, started screaming, oh, my God, oh, my God. And it was there a half mile from his fishing boat that they saw Cullen. He was laying face down with arms at his side, wearing olive colored waders and a camouflage jacket. And the police came rushing over. Poor Lindsay. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people go out and they do these searches, these volunteer searches. And I wonder how many people actually think they'll be the one to find the person. And what are you going to do when that happens? And what a horrible moment for this poor woman yeah absolutely i mean it's got to be somewhere in your mind if you're like in a search party you're hoping that you find them alive um i know at at one point the family was hoping that you know colin was just lost in the woods or hiding in a deer blind or you know something not deceased interesting the position that his body was in too being face down with his arms at his side which kind of makes it seem like when I first was looking through this, it made me think that he had like a brain aneurysm or something or um, a heart attack or something happened really fast that he just fell over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he was incapacitated somehow and just like fell face forward into the mud. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. And Cullen's body showed no signs of trauma, and he was dressed appropriately for the elements. But his death just didn't seem to make sense to a lot of people. And he had been a star college football player, as we went over, and he was now 30 years old with a wife and two children. His daughter had been baptized, surrounded by family, just a week earlier. And over that Memorial Day weekend, they were vacationing with Jennifer's family. didn't make sense that he went fishing alone that day or why he was found so close to the road or why he was a half mile from where he docked his pontoon boat. Yeah, all of that... uh says to me that he was like already experiencing some disorientation like when he decided to go fishing like it's an odd we, we've touched on this many times but it's just an odd decision to make at that hour um and then he docks his boat and wanders half mile away from it and like that's how he gets lost i guess yeah i don't know it's kind of terrifying to think about this i wonder how familiar he was with the area that his boat was in like in that body of water 
I wonder how familiar Jennifer's family was with that as well, because it's dark out and you can get really disoriented really fast if you're out in the middle of a body of water and all you see are trees. And if you're experiencing some sort of like emotional break or something, it's really tough to figure out which way did I come in. So he probably rode to the first kind of familiar looking area and and docked the boat just to get some sense of his geography, I would imagine. Okay, but... <laughs> yes. Story time. When I was a kid, I got lost in the woods up in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. I knew that there was a creek that passed by my grandmother's house. And after walking around and crying for a very long time, I was like, oh, I'll just follow the creek back down because it flows one direction. I'll follow the creek back down and that will lead me to my grandmother's house. This sounds like a, you know, a fairy tale riding hood <laughs> yeah. Yeah. story, but it's true. It actually happened. So that begs the question. It's like if he was disoriented, but he's flowing down a one directional river, unless he took some kind of tributary, it would be quite easy to find the place where you started. Yes. If you're in the right mind. Yes. And I think, I think we just answered the question. I think you've just answered the question for us. If he's flowing in one direction and then he realizes that he's going too far, he's going to dock the boat as soon as he can so that he doesn't continue to go in this one direction. Because I can imagine it'd be pretty tough to row upstream. So it feels like now hearing that, yeah, he probably was thinking before I get too far, because strong guy probably could row upstream, but he was probably thinking before I get too far, I, I should dock this boat. And then it does make sense, right, that he would call his brother and say, I don't know where I am. Yeah, I mean, uh, most of the time these pontoon boats like have a little outboard motor, right? I'm not sure if we know if this one had also a, a good point had a little motor or if it was just yeah. like um, being pulled down the river or something. And other things didn't seem to add up either. Over the last few days, Colin had started to complain of having headaches and restless sleep. Then in his last two phone calls, one to his wife and one from his brother-in-law, Colin is said to have sounded panicked. He mentioned that he was uncomfortable and nervous, and he said that he ran into two men on the Baldwin River, and he thought they might be following him. While on the phone with Jennifer, he is said to have called out multiple times, quote, hey, are you there, end quote. When she asked who he was talking to, he responded, quote, that guy, end quote. Cullen then told Jennifer he was taking off his clothes. Jennifer told him to stay where he was, and the call was suddenly disconnected. Jennifer then sent him a text message telling him not to move, that her brother and father were coming to pick him up. So the last call that uh, Cullen has on his cell phone record is from his brother-in-law. We don't know specifically what time this was, but it should have been... Well, that was around 9.30, so he must have talked to Jennifer like a little bit beforehand. Um, And they had this very strange kind of interaction where he says, you know, he's being followed in the woods. He's calling out to some man in, in the night. Like, it's very strange. And then saying he's taking his clothes off, too which we know he, he didn't do because he was found with his clothes on. It's, it's all very bizarre. There's a lot of contradictions here. Cullen was 6'2", like we said, he was a big guy, 240 pounds, and he was called Superman and Rambo by his friends because it was like he was invincible. It wasn't like he was afraid to shy away from fights. And they were saying if he was being followed or felt danger, it wasn't typical of him to be panicked or scared. 
He was described as being fearless, and it didn't make sense for Cullen to be in such fear during those last two phone calls. It's almost like a, another, like, again, I don't want to use, like, mental break or something like that, but it, that feels like it. Yeah, that's what I'm leaning to toward as well, and we'll get into that more. But I just will say, mm. like, say it wasn't a, a mental sort of, like, psychotic break or whatever, even if you're just like, you know, known as a fearless person in your regular life, if you're alone and lost in the woods in the pitch black and you think you're being followed, like, I don't know, that's pretty scary, even for the toughest of football players. Yeah. And his former coach, Chuck Martin, was quoted as saying he was the only quarterback in the history of football who would want to go knock the lights out of somebody. And that's a that's a quote, end quote. And smiling, he went on to say, quote, everybody spends their life trying to protect their quarterback, not Finnerty. No one loved contact, the physical part of football more than him, end quote. And every time Cullen scored, he would actually pose like Superman. And uh, he even fell off a zip line once, falling nearly 30 feet to the ground. And he stood up unscathed as others hurried to call 911. And to everyone, Cullen Finnerty was invincible. That's that story sounds like he's kind of a folk hero yeah but then we get back into this uh potential paranoia or like you know something's maybe going on in his in his head i mean it, it sounds to me like maybe a like latent schizophrenia or due to brain injury or whatever um but there was another time that Cullen's older brother Tim had heard or seen Cullen be scared, and that was back in December of 2011. He said Cullen had been out in Detroit with coworkers and thought he was being followed by the FBI. He became so paranoid that he drove to Tim's house in Grand Rapids, which is more than 150 miles away. And when he got there, Tim didn't see anybody following him, and he said that Cullen was not acting like himself. Yeah, and this was about two years before he went missing. Yeah. This terrifies me. That's so sad. The notion that you can do something in your life and be so successful and so good at it, and there's another part of you that is losing its grip on reality. And you you have these moments where you get into these paranoid mindsets. Uh, You said schizophrenia. That terrifies me because there's so much of your brain that's just not... You don't, you don't, you know, whatever that percentage is of your brain that you don't use, like all that unknown area again. Ugh. I mean, it's the ultimate irony, right? Like, yeah. because he was so good at this, like very violent sport, it potentially caused uh, damage to his frontal lobe. And, you know, that's why he, he started having potentially uh, hallucinations and stuff like that. So, I mean, his his love of football was ultimately his his downfall, you know. Sure, and the reputation that preceded him might have contributed to people not thinking that he couldn't handle himself in every scenario because they knew uh, we have the the words here he's the toughest of the tough and they didn't think that they had anything to worry about in regards to anything happening to him. So, Hey, it's it's Cullen. He's tough. He can he can handle it. But they did rush to the area to help look for him um, because they assumed that he would be hiding, maybe maybe taking a a, a bit of his uh, surroundings in in a deer blind or an abandoned house or something like that. Yeah, I mean those phone calls must have been very alarming for them to respond the way they did. If yeah. they if they did think that Cullen was like kind of able to handle everything, 
I'm sure hearing fear in the voice of a man like that is pretty jarring. And Dave Kibbe, who owns 10 acres of land across from the campground where Colin had docked his boat, on that Sunday, he and his wife were sitting outside their camper around dusk and recall hearing some yelling. And they could also hear fireworks in the distance, so they assumed it was all festivities for the holiday weekend. The next morning, the campground was filled with more cars and people than Kibby had ever seen there. Kibby met Cullen's wife that day, noting that she looked distraught. And a lot of areas where people speculated Cullen may have gone were part of Kibby's property. It didn't make sense to him, though. If Cullen had gone in any of those directions, he would have run into someone or something, a road, a barbed wire fence, something, along the way. And as Kibby put it, quote, it's so hard to actually get lost in there, end quote. Well, that's an interesting take because we have the undersheriff saying that it is not uncommon for people to get lost in there. Yeah, maybe it makes sense for for Kibby not to get lost in there because he lives yeah. there and is very familiar. But for people who aren't familiar, I mean, people go lost in the smallest patches of <laughs> forest and yeah, you know, wilderness. I think Kibby is saying something one way that he's actually meaning in another way. Like it's it's easy for someone to get lost there, but it might be actually hard to stay lost there because you're going to find something like a barbed wire road or something. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. It's not like vast wilderness, like miles and yeah. miles. Of, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can get lost anywhere. And I'm sure the undersheriff is, is uh, saying what they said based on, uh, you know, actually people haven't gone missing there for at least a period of time. So it's not like the undersheriff was probably making that up. So yeah, it's a conflict there, but makes some sense, I guess, from both perspectives. And a year before his death, Colin had completed a 13-mile Tough mutter obstacle course run. And after that, his back had stiffened, and he was prescribed oxycodone for two herniated discs. His siblings said, however, that in recent months, Colin told them that his back felt better, and he was weaning himself off of the medication, and he was ready to get back into the gym. Other sources reveal that he had a prior addiction to painkillers and had spent some time in a rehab center more than a year earlier. Another source says that he relapsed shortly after. His wife is said to have told police that she could not imagine him going down that road again. But in the months prior to his death, Cullen had been feeling stressed from increased job responsibilities. During that time, he called his mother and brothers for support. Soon, however, Cullen got a promotion and things seemed to be going better. I mean, say what you will about him being tough. I mean, it's oxycodone. Come on. Like, that is... That 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 is like the nastiest. Yeah, it's that's a tough habit to break too. I've heard. Um, it's definitely possible that he was still, you know, taking pills, and especially if he was in a, like a particularly stressful time in his life. I don't know. I I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I feel like having an addiction like that, maybe having some brain trauma, and potentially having you know a familial history of a mental illness might be like a recipe for disaster. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So with the oxycodone, there is a documented history of uh, a former NFL quarterback, Brett Favre, actually um, speaking about this at a press conference, how he uh, was addicted for years. And he described the years between 1992 and 1996 as a blur. And he was dependent on oxycodone to to fall asleep. And uh, he slept only a few hours each night. So yeah, again, very tough to shake. And there's some documented precedent of like actual quarterbacks having been addicted to it. Is oxycodone an opioid? I think it It is. It sure is. Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, it's part of the whole opioid crisis, you know, doctors mm-hmm. just prescribing opioids for whatever kind of pain and then not really offering any assistance or support when you become addicted after an injury. That was a really interesting point that you brought up with Brett Favre. You said, what What were the years? 90? 92 to 96. I mean, that was like his prime. He won MVPs, I believe, in 96 and 97. Yeah. I mean, that that is the, I'm just speculating, but it feels to me like successful NFL franchise, successful quarterback, get him on the field any way you can, right? Yeah, exactly. This seems like he might have been doing this beyond the doctor's control. I'm not really sure. It seems like he kept a secret, which I I do think is part of um, an addict's behavior at times. Um, They will, you know, take some of these pills, maybe buy some of these pills, or, you know, even keep them in a certain place in the house where your spouse can't find them um, so you can access it later, yeah, when you need to. Yep. Someone once said, if you ever think that you're, if if you ever have a question about whether you're addicted to something, ask yourself if you're hiding it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you're right on with that. Yeah. That's mm, interesting. Yeah. Really sad about Colin, though. My goodness. I mean, he seemed like he was very well loved by his friends and family in his community. More than a thousand people attended Colin's funeral. And from all the stories told, Colin is known and remembered for his jokes and pranks, savage bear hugs, nicknames, and wisecracks. And the day after his funeral, Cullen's family returned to the woods where he was found. They floated the pontoon boat down the river and walked along the banks. They found his fishing line stuck in an overhanging tree. Another local had reiterated what others had said. He could simply just not understand how anyone could die in such an open area, so close to the road. Well, that's really, yeah. It's a sad scene to think about, and it almost reminds me of like a Viking send-off. You know, it's not that his his remains were on the boat, but like, you know, passing it down the river in that symbolic way. What do you uh, to think about the fishing line in the tree? Every time I've been fishing, I've gotten fishing lines stuck in a bush or a tree. But I'm a bad fisherwoman. I find that hard to believe, Jen. You're so crafty. <laughs> yeah, I'm very surprised at that. Terrible. <laughs> I have many skills, but... One of them. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's it's pretty natural, somewhat normal, especially if he's disoriented at some point out there, uh, which we know he kind of was. So I don't know what to make of it. Also, how do they know it was his fishing line? I mean, was the yeah was the rod there with it? I wonder. I don't know. Must have been. I once thought that I could fly fish. Spent a whole summer fly fishing. You know how many you know how many fish I caught? Zero. Uh. You know how many times I got the line caught up in a tree or some sort of branch in the river a hundred percent of the time (laughs) (laughs) and we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors thanks to our sponsors and now we're back to the program and so colin's family wanted to find out exactly what happened that sunday they needed closure and after his death they found out that colin had donated money to an orphanage without telling anybody He had also sent money to a friend with cancer, and he even stopped to help coach random soccer practices. And that is kind of weird, um, I think. It's it's not only sounds uncharacteristic uh, of Cullen, but um, yeah, it's just kind of a weird scene to picture if you're you're a soccer team practicing and then someone 
you know, c- comes over and, and is assisting with these soccer practices. I wonder how many different teams or how many different times this happened. It does sound, mm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what to, what to call it, just uh, a bit bizarre. Yeah. I mean, he was described as being outgoing and very personable, and maybe that is within his personality to to help with these things. But just stopping, because I'm imagining he's stopping his car. He he see he's driving and he sees the soccer practice happening, and then he stops and he's like, "Hey, let me give you a hand." That does sound a little bit out of anyone's character. I mean, yeah, but who knows? I mean, unless he like had a history of coaching soccer before. But his kids weren't old enough to play. Outside of the context of his death, though, would this be unusual for him to donate money to a orphanage or any charity without telling anybody, sent money to a friend with cancer? I mean, looking at it through the lens of his mysterious death, it's you can view it one way. But if he hadn't died mysteriously, I wonder how it's viewed. Well, definitely in the context of like... Um, previous um, strange, you know, thoughts about being followed by the FBI. I think that's that's mm-hmm. a little weird. I mean, mm-hmm. you definitely have to ask his family if it was in character for him to, you know, be interested in soccer, first of all, or to coach. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Also, the donating money um, strikes me as something that a potentially a suicidal person could do. Um, yeah. I wonder how much he donated. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, or somebody who might know that they have a limited time to live. Maybe not suicidal, but he knows like something's in decline. Yeah, I mean, maybe he thought he was being pursued by by something and he feared, mm-hmm. you know, harm or, or death in that way. The initial autopsy report, though, was inconclusive, which is so frustrating. And the toxicology report was negative. The family had no explanation for how Cullen died. And... I wonder what they tested for with the toxicology report, because if it was negative, that means he wasn't on the opioids anymore or hadn't taken them within a certain period of time, I guess. And Memorial Day weekend, I guess he wasn't drinking or maybe that had time to pass through. It seems like from the report here, like what's noted um, by the medical examiner is that he was on oxycodone because uh, it's later listed Mm -hmm. that he died of pneumonia brought on by inhalation of vomit after he became disoriented and paranoid while lost in the wilderness, and that this may have been a result of oxycodone combined with having chronic traumatic uh-oh, encephalopathy? Yeah. CTE. Um, so, yeah, for that, for the medical examiner to write that on the report, I mean, it had to have shown up somewhere, or they found other evidence that he was using oxycodone. Interesting, though, it's a negative toxicology report, and then the possibility of him using led to the vomiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost contradictory. I'm not sure uh, what to believe. Witnesses did state that he had been drinking before he went fishing, too, um, mm-hmm. but his blood alcohol level was negligible and did not contribute to his incapacitation but if he vomited out there i would have to guess that it did i I just don't know yeah i don't know like why yeah what caused the the nausea and the vomiting but cte is a degenerative brain disorder found in many former football players and it's said to be caused by multiple concussions and head injuries i mean this is a personal opinion but like why are we doing this to people like why (laughs) 
Why do we allow a game to go on that can like permanently damage young people for the rest of their lives and cause their death? Like, I just don't get it. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. I know, but that's gross. (laughs) That's your answer. So many people watch it. I mean, from high school to college to the pros. Would you still watch football if if it was no contact or like light contact? I would. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've they've toned it down since. What? Look at football in the seventies and eighties. Oh my god, nineties. Yeah. Like they've toned it down a lot. Yeah, yeah it, it is much different now. the The players have uh, different helmets um, for this purpose now. Um, so they they have tried to the NFL's credit, but previously to this point, they also tried to kind of bury this information about how bad CTE is, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Um, and there was even a movie about it starring Will Smith called Concussion. Um, so, yeah, this is this is a very frequent topic, um, you know, and, and it has been already this season with a with a popular quarterback who got a concussion. Oh. The NFL uh, said he was OK. Um, they sent him back in uh, and then he got concussed the next game as well. So it's, you know, and then he was held out several weeks and uh, an investigation doctor fired. You know, it's it's a whole thing. It's a storyline every single season in the NFL. Mm-hmm. There's always something, yeah. And then there's people saying, I mean, you're talking about Tua from yeah, the Miami exactly. Dolphins, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the first time he gets hit, he can't walk back. Like, he stumbles, and he can't walk back. And then they were saying, you know, he, I mean, but that's like a that's like a classic, like, indication that you just got concussed, where he stumbled. The second time he, he got hit, he was seizing up. It was, like, nauseating to look at him on the ground his fingers were contorting yeah and he was seizing up and people were actually saying that that wasn't a concussion like it was nauseating to look at yeah people questioned if he should play at all after that yes um, that second one um that first one i have to note though that tua himself and his coaching staff said that it was his back that made him stumble there um i know most people who saw the video disagree um and then the doctor uh went on to be fired um so some you know something happened there i i don't, I don't know it, it could be just like the culture of got you know players wanting to be out there yeah put me in coach exactly this is their livelihood bleeding from a head wound yeah yeah this is most of these players come from some impoverished situation and they know they have a very small window to make a lot of money to set up their families for the rest of their lives. So yeah, put me back in and, and we're going to deal with the consequences later on. And the saddest story, I, and I've mentioned it before, the saddest story I think in sports, one of the saddest in sports history is Junior Seau shooting himself in the chest because he wanted his brain studied. Right. For CTE specifically. Yeah. He wow. knew he was experiencing massive symptoms. Wow. Yeah. But despite all of this, Colin's family said that they don't blame his death on football. But some of them wonder about head injuries and concussions and their cumulative effect, especially how physical Colin was when playing football. I don't know why the family doesn't think his death was related to football. I mean, maybe, I don't. Maybe they have some other ideas about what. Uh, contributed to Cullen's death in the woods. But anyway, we have this uh, forensic pathologist, Dr. Stephen Cole with the Kent County Medical Examiner's Office, and he issued the following statement, quote, a likely sequence of events on the night of death includes anxiety, disorientation, and paranoia from being alone in the woods. 
when he was not met as expected after fishing. He goes on to say these emotions could have been exacerbated by an elevated oxycodone level combined with CTE. He became incapacitated, vomited, and inhaled the vomitus, which caused pneumonia. Although witnesses stated he had been drinking before he went fishing, we mentioned before that his blood alcohol level was negligible and did not contribute to his incapacitation, end quote. If he was on oxycodone, though, and uh, was drinking, that can uh, sometimes increase the effect. Yeah, and I'd totally say it was like due to drinking and using oxy. But then we have a couple other instances of, of him exhibiting paranoid behavior years before. So mm-hmm. I think that CTE is probably definitely a culprit in this death. Yeah. And in 2018, we were just talking about the responsibility that the college football, professional football has with their players. Jennifer Finnerty joined three other families of deceased college football players in filing wrongful death lawsuits against the NCAA. The lawsuit claims that concussions led to their premature deaths. The rest of Colin's family, however, was shocked by the lawsuit and wanted no part of it, which is very interesting. And his brother Tim said that they they don't believe that the concussion causes death and this lawsuit is causing tension in the family. That's really sad. I mean, I feel two ways about this. I mean, I can definitely see how it would rub the Finnerty family a little wrong, Jennifer filing this lawsuit, because it kind of seems like a like a grab for money um, due to this tragedy. But then from Jennifer's side, it's like, I do believe that it's a huge issue in college ball i mean these are like these kids are like 18 and they're ruining their whole lives i think the ncaa needs to be held accountable for for this yeah i i would agree this seems pretty pretty direct unless cullen had some sign of mental illness before he started playing football Right. Yeah. I mean, damage to your frontal lobe can cause all sorts of weird things to happen in your executive function, in your emotional and mood states. uh, And it can even cause like auditory and uh, visual hallucinations as well. So so mimicking schizophrenia, but not necessarily schizophrenia. And you can see how this can cause tension. You can, in a way, see both sides of the argument here. Uh, Tim had told his dad after the lawsuit, how is this making anything better? This is a quote. When are we ever going to be able to move forward? Five years later, and it still feels like last week. We'll never be able to fully heal from this. We should all be enjoying and remembering Colin for what he was, how great of a guy he was, how fun-loving of a guy he was. This was our Superman. And again, I think that you can see both sides of the argument, but in no way insulting the family by saying this. I'm not trying to insult the family by saying this, but when are we ever going to be able to move forward? And then he says, this was our Superman. I think that attitude of Colin being invincible is a little reckless, a little dangerous, because I think maybe you're getting hung up in what you wanted him to be, what you perceived him to be. And that wasn't really the reality. Yeah, and maybe Jennifer's way of of making some meeting out of her husband's death was to file this lawsuit so she could change um, how the game is played for future players. Personally, I think that's a way of moving forward more than staying in that mindset that this invincible Superman character just dropped dead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's trying to make real change while some of Colin's family is sort of uh focused on his memory 
Um, and the reality of the situation is that Colin helped to earn millions of dollars for the NCAA. Jennifer and Colin's family is absolutely, um, they should be Owed given some, some of that. Yes, they, yes, 100%, in my opinion. Wait, what was that you said, Tim? He helped earn millions of dollars for the NCAA, not to right. TV deals, things like that. He was he won three championships with this with this team. I mean, people bought tickets to see him. Oh yeah, that's that's totally true. I mean, yeah, that's just a very very sad case, and it, it really pains me to hear that the family's at odds after his mm-hmm. death, that they can't understand each other and and come to some agreement that everybody grieves in different ways. I wonder if the tension isn't directly from the lawsuit. The lawsuit was just something that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Maybe the tension had been building because one party felt the other party was responsible for leaving him there or, you know, letting him go fishing, dropping him off, not showing up on time. Maybe there's some blame that was kind of running under the surface there. Well, maybe, I mean, Jennifer kind of like buys this theory that it was the CTE and potentially oxycodone that caused his death and his family just doesn't want to believe that. They don't want to believe that this game that their family loves so much caused his death and they don't want to believe that they're like Superman had an addiction problem. Like, I mean, it's, it's really unfortunate. Or maybe they have other reasons that we don't know about to believe something different happened to him. And our uh, fantastic researcher, Marianne White, makes a note here that she has not found any outcome from the lawsuit. To learn more about concussions or CTE, you can visit concussionfoundation.org. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.